0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Hope, Nevada. We are here again um, to talk about people who are bringing light into Northern Nevada. And so we've got another guest in today we're excited to talk to, and I will turn it over to Whitney and let her introduce our special guest today.
1: Yes, one of those people bringing light to our community is Gabby Totten. Gabby is the executive director since 2009 of T.I.P. T.I.P. stands for Trauma Intervention Programs, and it is a national voluntary nonprofit organization dedicated to ensuring that those who are emotionally traumatized in emergency situations receive the assistance they need. Through the T.I.P. program, well-trained citizen volunteers are called to emergency scenes to assist family members, witnesses, and other standards whom the emergency system often must leave behind. So that said, Gabby, I'm going to turn it over to you and we would love if you would introduce yourself and tip.
2: Okay. So as you said, I am Gabrielle Totten, uh, Gabby Totten, uh, and I have been the director of the program since 2009. I actually, my husband and I own a plumbing shop, which we had taken ownership of in 2008, just before the market crashed. So life was a little stressful in 2009 as in, I might be going bald. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, so uh, that was, tip was an opportunity for me to do something that was a little more uplifting, a little less stressful than running a brick and mortar business that sure. was sucking the life out of me quite literally at that point in time. So a friend of mine mentioned, hey, they're hiring for executive director. Would you be interested? And I thought, why not? Might as well try it. And so I went in to apply. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? There were PhDs, there was masters, graduates, there was these highfalutin folks that were applying for this part-time, no benefits chump change salary because nobody had a job and everybody was looking anywhere for a job sure. and so i thought oh well this isn't gonna end well but i'll go give it a shot and so went and interviewed with the board and they ended up giving me the job and then i really said oh my gosh what have i gotten myself into
0: <laughs>
1: if i thought i didn't know before right wait till I'm, hey, man, it. i was really nervous
0: be careful what you ask for yeah. right?
2: and they said we're, we're excited to offer you the job i was like thank you i gotta go i'm oh. called my called my stepmom bambi I got the job. <laughs> now what? <laughs> so, uh, but I, my history, my, before owning the plumbing shop, I have always worked in the criminal justice field. So at the city mm-hmm. attorney's office, at the uh, attorney general's office mm-hmm. doing domestic violence stuff. So uh, it kind of played into, and those roles I always found fulfilling. The plumbing job had the potential to be fulfilling, except that it was a very stressful time. That's true. And so instead of filling me up, it was sucking me dry. So this was an opportunity to kind of fill me up a little bit. So uh, we the program is not actually running when I was brought on. It was still just a, it's a national, pro- let me say this, it's a national program. Trauma Intervention Program is a national program. There are 16 affiliates nationwide currently. Uh, so we are one of those 16 affiliates. At the time that I was hired, they, they had had a, a director on board, but she had not gotten to the point of actually launching the program before Uh, Some things needed to change in terms of how they had it organized. They had kind of set it up improperly and had this nonprofit under the city attorney's office or the police department, I believe. So it just wasn't set up right. So they had to kind of close it down, start over. Mm -hmm. So that's when I hopped on board. And and at that point, that was in June of 2009. We held our first training academy in October, got 11 volunteers And in November of 2009, we went live with 11 volunteers covering 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of coverage. Well, the good news was uh, that the emergency responders were not, at that point, they didn't know about us really and Mm -hmm. weren't in our area nationwide. Of course, there were some Mm -hmm. booming affiliates, but locally they'd never heard of us, so it took many months. Our first call that we actually got was thanksgiving day in 2009 Mm -hmm. it was hilarious when the dispatch phone rang I about tossed it out the car window because i was so shocked that it was ringing i was like whoa
1: what is this (laughs) is this a freight call
2: (laughs) (laughs) what are we doing all right tip dispatch it was a little exciting um so and then we didn't get another call until a week or two into december because you know it just takes time to kind of get the system to trust you and understand that yes these are very well-trained volunteers yes there is a benefit to having them on scene Mm -hmm. yes it will make your life easier it will make the lives of those on scene those witnesses those bystanders they're going to benefit from this this will behoove all of us to do this so Took
1: a minute, but we got it rolling. Well, I love that you use that phrase well trained volunteers. Can you talk about what some of that training entails for your sure. volunteers? A TIP
2: volunteer will go through 32 hours in the classroom of training. So our trainings will always start on a Thursday night. They'll go Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. We'll take a couple days off, come back for a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, and then another Saturday. So the combination of all that is 32 hours. Week one is all emotional first aid. So all we're talking about is we have five EFA skills that we want our volunteers to know how to use, and that's all we want them to use, right? So we drill it in pretty hard that first week uh, take them on a bit of an emotional roller coaster ride in terms of we want them to share their life experiences with us that we want to train them and so it it definitely is draining for them they most of these folks are working a full-time job eight, five, whatever it is, or they've arranged to get time off, but it's a full time job. Plus now they're going to come for three or four hours of training on the weeknights and they're going to come back for two days of weekend training. So we really kind of wipe them out that first week. But the goal is to put them through the test to see how can you do, right? Are you going to melt down on us under pressure? Because when you go on these calls, there's going to be pressure and you need to be able to manage it. So it's a good trial to kind of see how they do. So that first week is very intense on emotional first aid. Week two is more logistics. So we're going to bring in the police, the fire, the medical examiner's office, uh, hospital staff. Um, We will bring in, I'm trying to remember who we bring in, a panel of veteran volunteers to talk about how they make it all happen in life. And then we'll bring in a survivor to talk about their experience as having had a TIP volunteer on scene so that's more logistical just explaining to them because as a TIP volunteer you need to be able to explain to people right here's what to expect next here's what the police are going to say here's what the fire is going to do here's what the medical examiner is going to say now the mortuary is coming here's what you can expect from then so to kind of uh, get everybody on the same page and this is what you need to know so that's the 32 hours in, in class training and then they do a three-month field training where they essentially are teamed up with another volunteer. So every shift that they cover, they will have a veteran volunteer on the shift as well, mm-hmm. and they will go out as a team on the call. Mm-hmm. So, and that's more to assess how are they doing. Mm-hmm. The vol, the vet, uh, the trainees appreciate it because of course they have a lot of nerves, right. right? A lot of nerves. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go out on this call. This is so scary. It's funny, people don't think about it, but. I guess I didn't think about it, but when you go on a call, one of the biggest things for people, it's not reaching out to the family, it's not being with the family, it's not seeing the dead body, it's interacting with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. That's a big tripping point for people. They really get kind of caught up on, it's this authority figure, they have a gun, they have a badge, they have the ability to put me in jail if they want to, right? And it's not a fear necessarily, as much as it is a huge respect that sometimes precludes them from even being able to kind of communicate with them or have an interaction with them that needs to happen because they're so caught up on, I don't, I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to, I don't want to be in the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Mm-hmm. And so they don't think about that necessarily. So having a veteran on scene who they can kind of see who's a little more comfortable and knows that mm-hmm. these guys put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just everyday people. True. They happen to carry a lot of weight in their job and a lot of responsibility. And, but other than that, it's just like you or I, and it's okay to, approach them and ask questions, it's okay to check in with them and say, hey, how are you doing with all this? This mm-hmm. is a difficult call, right? Mm-hmm. So having that veteran on scene with them really helps the trainees kind of, oh, okay, we can do that. We can say that, look, they're very comfortable with this. It gives them that that uh, confidence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I see how this kind of looks. So mm-hmm. it's a benefit to them that way. So that's that three-month field training. Once they complete that, uh, and they'll do a few things during the field, field training, we'll do a background check on them. They'll provide me with DMV reports. They'll do a um, right along with law enforcement. So we'll do a few other things while they're doing their three months of field training. And then once they're done there, once they've completed all of that successfully, then they become a full-fledged TIP volunteer. So yes, they're very well trained.
1: Right. Well, and I'd love if you'd talk about, just when you are saying that starting in 2009, and so now 10 years into doing this, what have you learned about trauma intervention that you didn't know before? Oh,
2: everybody can receive it. Uh, When you sit through those first few trainings, you hear people, naysayers will come in. Even though they're at the training to be a TIP volunteer, people will come in and say, really, somebody's going to let me in their house to do this. I don't think so. Trauma really does have a leveling effect. Whether you are homeless under a bridge or living in the biggest mansion in town, when tragedy happens, we all kind of come to this baseline where we can receive the support, the level of support that our volunteers are going to bring to the table. And, and part of that is because what we bring to the table is unique. It's immediate on scene, which is not common. Most people don't show up on, mm-hmm. domestic violence advocates do not show up on scene, right? That's It's not safe, which is fair, right? They shouldn't be there. but. Most people don't show up on scene. Our volunteers are gonna be there in the heat of the moment when it's all kind of crumbling around people, which is very different than what people are used to. And in that moment, that that trauma has a leveling effect. We're all kind of in the same pit, as we call it, right? We've all kind of dropped down into this place of, I don't know what to do, I don't know what is happening, I can't even remember my kids' names right now. What is going on? And how we train our volunteers is to be able to jump in that pit, come alongside people, meet them where they're at. Mm. Who cares where they've been, where they come from, what they bring to the table, we don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is right now they just need somebody to be with them in a caring presence, to give them love, to give them information. That's one of the biggest things people need is information. And in that circumstance, when tragedy happens, generally they're giving information, right? Police come, they're asking, who's the last person that was here, who, came, who found them, in what position were they laying, blah, blah, blah. Then the medical examiner's gonna ask the same question. Fire's gonna have their own questions. Everybody has questions. Nobody is necessarily turning the table and saying, let me tell you what is happening. Let me give you information. Mm-hmm. So as TIP volunteers, we kind of are able to sense that and go, I think they probably need information as you can imagine in a hospital setting, it's even more intensified because when they're in a hospital setting, oftentimes there's resuscitation efforts going on. That person is still alive, right? When they're dead, it's like, okay, they're dead, but there's, you know, there's still a lot of questions, but that's a little more definitive. In a hospital, it's like, I don't even know if they're alive. What's happening? The last thing we saw, they raced them in there doing compressions. And I don't know what, I haven't heard anything since. So that's even more critical to get information for them, right? Let me get you an update. We know people need information about every 20 minutes, so we're gonna try and provide that information to them. We're gonna say, okay, as a tip volunteer, I'm gonna be the timekeeper. If I get there and it's 12.30, I know at about 1250 they're going to need more information. When I get there, I'm going to make myself useful. I'm going to say, my name's Gabrielle. The hospital staff called me to be here with you. Can you tell me what happened? They're going to tell, oh, oh my gosh. You know, Johnny was playing with a gun. He didn't know what he was doing. There was a bullet we didn't know. He shot himself. They haven't been surgery. We don't know what's going on. Okay, let me see if I can go get some information for you. So I'm not making any promises, sure. but I'm going to give them an opportunity. I want to go, I want to make myself useful to them so they see, no, I'm not just some random person that showed up chasing ambulances and now here I am to try and provide support. Mm-hmm. I really can make get information. I really can give you stuff that you need. I really can protect you when your family starts to get confrontational and things go a little sideways on us, when looky-loo neighbors come by and want to see what's happening.
1: Sure.
2: There's a lot of things that our volunteers can do that people don't necessarily think about. One of the biggest things our volunteers can do is not saying the wrong thing. People have that tendency to say all the wrong things, right? It's gonna be okay. You'll be fine tomorrow. Thank God he went to heaven, right? Like, thank God the pain and suffering is over. If somebody suffers for years on hospice, Mm. actively dying, does that make it the end good? No. No, it doesn't. And in fact, it's funny because people always say, well, th-, and we have a volunteer who speaks about this. Um, she lost her husband and her son in a plane crash mm-hmm. and um, and they didn't find their bodies. They didn't recover the bodies for 10 years. It took them before they found the bodies. Oh. So as you might imagine, she really thought she had kind of processed it and was like, okay, I'm good. I've, I've dealt with this tragedy. I can you know move on with my life. But when they found the bodies... It, reopened everything for it It was like, oh my gosh, we're like starting over here. Mm -hmm. So um, recognizing that when people say, well, you have your religion, at least you have your religion. Oftentimes people get angry, and and you guys I know see this, right? Is uh, my religion, forget my religion. If God loved me, this wouldn't happen. This is wrong, right? Why would you take my baby? Why would this happen? So, and they'll question that. Why would, when we're sitting with them, why would God do this to me? What did I do to deserve this?
0: Well, I think you, it's such a key point that, you know, we live in this, we always want to be able to, to say something, yes. right? Like we just, even if it's dumb, mm-hmm. the fact that we said something makes us feel better about it, yes. right? It very rarely makes the other person feel any better. That's in right. fact, it might just complicate it or yes. multiply the negative effect for them. Um, you know, and so I think you used a word earlier that I think is such a key word because, one of the things we find have found through the podcast and just dealing with different organizations through this is this idea that so much of the reason people don't volunteer is because they immediately preclude themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I don't have the skill set, I don't have, I don't know how to do this. Right. But you used a word that I think is so key, not only in what you guys do, but in every sense of volunteering is the idea of presence. Yeah. We can all just be there.
1: That's right.
0: Right. We can all just show up. Um, and, like you said, you guys provide such an in depth volunteering more so than anybody, probably any other organization in the Valley, in terms of just for volunteers, I would think. Um, and anybody can show up. Yeah. Right. That's and, right. Um, you know, and, and and so I think that's something that, um, uh, you know, so if you're listening to the podcast immediately, you go, well, listen, I don't have that skill set. I don't, it's not about that at all. It's about, are you willing to be someone who shows up? in the worst moment of someone else's life. That's right. Right, like in the absolute maybe worst moment of their life. Um, because if you think about that, we're we're all gonna come to a moment like that at some point. Right, and the details may differ, but we're all gonna have that moment where everything just, all the superficial stuff crashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now all we're left with is what is. Um, and who would wanna be alone in that? That's right. Right, and if we wouldn't wanna be alone, we should also have compassion for other people in a way that moves us to maybe say, how do I step into uncomfortability? Because it's not comfortable, right? Like, you know, I, um, I, in my educational background, I had to do like 400 hours in a trauma center. Yes. Right? So, um, in Hampton, Virginia, largest trauma, trauma center in Virginia. And so, I can tell you, the second night I was there, they brought a f- family comes in and like you talked about, they're working on a three-year-old on a table mm-hmm. who took a, a gunshot, just a random gunshot in a drive-by shooting. His mom has three other kids over here with her as they come in, and it's just, this kid's bleeding out. On, what can you say there? There's absolutely nothing that you can say that will help him. But what they did have was they had someone who was able to step in, an advocate who stepped in and guided the process. Yes. And it didn't alleviate the pain in any way, but what it did was it gave that mom in that moment, I think, the feeling that I'm just not alone.
2: Right,
0: right? and I think that is such a huge thing, just for someone to know I'm not in, by myself in this. It's not gonna change <laughs> the circumstance at all. It is what it is. Um, and so I think when, you know, maybe when people hear like the idea of trauma intervention, right? We all have this idea of what trauma means. We picture things in our head or emergency situations. Can you give us a sense of the scope of some of the things you guys deal with? Right? So, cuz I cuz immediately I think when we hear those words we all we go through our own experience. Right. Right. Well, the most traumatic thing that ever happened to me was this. Well, that can that that word and that idea can cover such a huge scope of experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, And happening. So give us a sense maybe of the scope of some of the things you guys respond to.
2: So I I will absolutely do that. Let me just start by saying during our uh, first night, we do an introduction and we ask people to share Mm -hmm. a past tragedy or a time that they were a victim. And it's interesting because on the first night, almost everybody will say every now and then. I shouldn't say everybody. We probably get a 50 50 split of people who will say, I, I, I don't have any. I, I don't. Mm. I really can't pinpoint any time that I was a victim or that I was involved in a tragedy. But over the course of the week, just that first week, yeah. Y- as you're, you know, the role playing or the sharing stories, or we talk about something, and they'll give little tidbits, and you're like. Hmm. So your dad died six months ago. Your mom died a year before. But no tragedy there. I got you. right? It's funny how people kind of perceive things. Um, Generally for TIP volunteers, what we're responding to are the daily disasters. So when, uh, when Chris wakes up to find her husband of 30 years lying dead next to her, That's when we're going to come. She's going to call 911. They're going to tell her to do what to do. She's going to jump on. However, we have responded to the major incidents in our area. We've responded to the Sparks Middle School shooting, the IHOP shooting, uh, the Renown shooting. We've responded to the fires when they bring the families back in to see their homes, the properties after the fire. Mm -hmm. They would put volunteers on. They asked us, can you just ride back on the bus with them when we take them back to see their property so they can kind of have somebody there. When you mentioned the presence, that's it. That, that's all it that's all it is and and what we train our volunteers is essentially shut up yeah don't mm-hmm. tragedy when somebody's in the midst of their tragedy that is no time ta- that's no time to be profound
0: yeah
2: people are searching for all these let me think of something great that i can say you know what you can say that's great nothing
0: yeah
2: that is great just say nothing because what you're going to say is likely going to come out wrong or be misunderstood or just be inappropriate. I can't tell you how many times one of the skills that we teach our volunteers is protecting. Mm-hmm. Because we often have to protect our clients from the people around them saying all the wrong uh, things. Yeah, just,
0: and people don't say those things for the person. They say it for themselves. That's right. Right? Like it's, I just need to say something. Yes. Because I'm very awkward and I'm very uncomfortable. And if I say something, I feel better. That's right? right. And so um, that's a real, and that is... A real skill set, right? That you can develop is the, we can all not say things.
2: That's right.
0: Right? Like, none of that, you know, for some of us that's harder than others, probably, right? But um, that's such a big thing, I think, is just the willingness to go. Because I think when we don't say something, what we're really choosing to do is to sit in the suffering with Mm -hmm. that person. That's right. Which is what they need, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to alleviate the suffering by anything you say, Mm. ever, right? What you can do is sit with them in it and Again, just the sense that they're not by themselves. Yes. Right? Um, when you
2: when you think about, when I say Chris wakes to find her husband dead, who's there? Well, her husband was, but he's not now. Exactly. So when those emergency responders get on scene, who's there? Chris hasn't thought to call anybody yet. She sure. thought to call 911. Yeah. Now she's waiting for them. They've thought to tell her to step back, let us try to resuscitate. She's still not at that place of... I need to call somebody to be here with me right now. And she may not even get there until a volunteer gets yeah. on the scene. Our volunteers are often the ones who propose to them, who would you like to be here with you right now? Sure. Like, yes, I'm here and I'm going to do some great work for you, but let's get your personal support system stood yeah. up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So having that presence there, just having somebody there because people don't realize these tragedies, it's not on our time. Sure. It happens when it happens mm-hmm. yeah. and there is often nobody there. And there are often... Lots of people there, but people feel very alone. It's yeah. like being in a room full of strangers mm-hmm. with a hundred people in the room.
0: Well, everybody else is an observer. Mm-hmm. You're the participant in it, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so it's, um, you know, and, and if you think about it, if you've ever like happened upon in you know, an automobile mobile accident or something, like you go into that observer role, right? If you're not the one immediately involved in it, you're kind of like...
2: Taking it all in.
0: Yeah, like, and so, um... And like you said, the, the professionals who are there, the you know law enforcement or the fire department or whatever, they have something. They have a task, yes, right. And they're they're task oriented, rightly so. That's their job, yes. Um, and so they're not always necessarily thinking of the the person who you know the family member there, right. right. And that's not to mean that's not to say that they're 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 not aware of that, but they have a different task. And so you guys bring something to the scene that. Um, or to 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 the happening that is really 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 important. I think um, I yeah. would agree, <laughs> and I would hope that law and I'm sure law enforcement understands that. Oh I'm no, sure those yeah, no. Talk about those relationships, right? Because <clears throat> law
2: enforcement is incredible, and truly, that is one of the things that I love. We we kind of talk about it on our intro night. Welcome mm-hmm. to Tip. This is what we're about. What you can expect from us. What we expect from you. And one of the things we kind of talk about is what do we love about this program. What I love about this program is that we do respond immediately on scene. We show up before anybody else gets there when the lights and sirens are still rolling, we're on scene. Um, I love that we get there quickly, we take fast action. We are that 100% volunteer-based, let us provide a level of support that you're not going to get anywhere else kind of service. And I love that we provide support to the emergency responders in a few different ways, one of which is that we allow them, we free them up to do their job. The truth of the matter is most of the and, and I know that if you watch the news it's doom and gloom and the world's coming to an end and everybody hates everybody. But the sure. truth of the matter is if you get out there and you volunteer and you really integrate yourself into something, you will see that is not necessarily the reality of life. Yeah. And that is true in our community and that is true of emergency responders. If you show up to these scenes, is there a bad apple and the emergency response agencies and the fire and the police and the paramedic? Yes. Is sure. there a bad apple at my plumbing shop? Yes. Yeah. You know, they're everywhere. You're not going to get rid of them. It's just the nature of the beast. But the bulk of those emergency responders are incredible individuals who truly, you can't imagine the level of commitment they put into these professions that yep. they have taken mm-hmm. on and how personal it is for them. And, and law enforcement has this kind of um, persona of being very gruff and cold and standoffish, and they are. But if they weren't, what would we even have any emergency responder? Would no. we have law enforcement? And they're not all necessarily that way, but they come off that way for a very valid reason. When you pull me over for doing 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of lanes, so you don't know what you're walking up to. Exactly. That's a fair assessment to be on your guard. Sure. But when you see them in these scenes, it's a much softer side of them that you don't necessarily see getting pulled over or in bad situations you don't no. necessarily want to be in. When I see them with families of loved ones who have just died, uh, they are... I'm not going to say they're different people by any means, but they are definitely compassionate. You definitely see a level of compassion that you don't see when you're getting your ticket written, yeah. right? And, and I think that it is so good. It is what I love about this program is that it this program gives people the opportunity to get that inside look, to see what the emergency response system is really doing on a day-to-day basis as versus what your TV is telling you sure. or what your friend who just made bad decisions and went to jail is telling you. Yeah. You know when you see them interacting with a family who is holding their dead baby, and and they're holding those officers are barely holding the tears back, yeah. and they're doing everything they can to help that family, and they're transporting kids from schools to home, and they're buying them McDonald's yeah. on the way to make sure they have lunch before they get the worst news of their lives. Yeah, you know, we get to see that.
0: And I think it's you know it's one of the things we found through the podcast is, and one of the things we try to encourage people to do in terms of volunteering is this idea that it's easy to demon, to demonize any yeah. group of people whether whether it's the homeless whether it's law enforcement right if you only pay attention to the narrative that gets sold on social media or tv yeah. like those are for-profit businesses they
2: mm-hmm.
0: they're going to sell what they can sell
2: they're going to sell right? what it sells right
0: and, and and the good yeah. stuff doesn't sell as well right? right because we're kind of a cynical culture yeah. right like we we like that drama for some mm-hmm. reason um, but i think it's so important like you said that people Get involved in a place that you can see what's actually going on. Yes. What's What's really going on is not what what we hear all the time. That most people are really good people for the most part. They They They, they care about other people. Yes. Right. Um, and and you know I think it's important, like you said. You know, we have several, quite a few law enforcement, um, uh, uh, police officers, those things who attend church here, and um, and you can always tell them by their kind of, like you said, they carry themselves in a certain way. Yes. Right. But if you had to deal with what they deal with on a daily basis, we would probably all carry ourselves that way That's a little right. bit, right? Like, And you know, we were talking about this before the podcast. When you work in environments where you face a ton of um, experiences that are not necessarily the most pleasant experiences,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: have to have the ability to kind of detach a little bit from that and not get as personally involved with every instance as... Um, you know, and, and, but like you said, that doesn't mean they're not invested. It doesn't mean they don't care because, um, they do an incredibly difficult job and, uh, the compensation does not make up for the job, um, in any way. And so what that says about them is that they care about what they do, right? right? Otherwise they could do something else. Um, and so, um, I think it's always good for, to hear, you know, the other side of the, of, of those tales just a little bit. Yeah.
2: So. We, we, one of the things that we do as an organization is we do an annual Heroes with Heart event. <clears throat> and it, essentially what that is, a fundraiser for us, but it's also an opportunity for our volunteers throughout the year. We ask them if you see a, an emergency responder going above and beyond the call of duty fill out a form, tell us about it. Mm-hmm. So that at this Heroes with Heart event, we basically pull all of those and we reach out to the agencies themselves and say, tell us about anybody in your organization that you think has gone above and beyond the call of duty sure. in whatever, beyond the tragedy calls we see them on. And then submit that and we do five, we, we do 10 uh, finalists and then narrow it down to five mm-hmm. uh, people who receive the award each year for Heroes with Heart. And I always tell the volunteers during training, you know, we're not looking for somebody who rebuilt someone's house out of their own pocket. True. I'm talking about the things that you would appreciate. If that was your family going through that mm-hmm. this very second and you saw that officer sit down next to your mom and put his hand on her shoulder and let her just cry, yeah. would that do it for you? Because I would do it for me, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's legit. That is worthy of a Heroes With Heart Award. If I could give an award, if I could afford to give an award to everybody, I mean every nomination that we get is pretty spectacular, sure. truly. Um, we just can't afford to do yep. that kind of fun. But um, there is incredible tales out there just from my volunteers of what these gentlemen and women are doing in our community sure. that the, the average citizen just doesn't know about because they haven't gotten involved at enough, a deep enough level to really see what's going on. Yep. Um, and, and I would su- I just want to swing it around real quick to one of the things you said earlier About uh, people thinking that, you know, precluding themselves from being able to do things because they think Mm -hmm. they don't have the skill set. And for becoming a TIP volunteer, we have three requirements. Mm -hmm. Have a valid driver's license. Have a cell phone. And have a vehicle that runs. Gotcha. Like, that's it. I don't need you to be a counselor. I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. To be perfectly honest. It's probably better that
0: you're not. Yes, so right? like, because
2: you're not going to bring it with you. You're not yeah. bringing that to the table. And when, when I, and honestly, we have a lot of social workers uh, and a lot of counselors. We do end up with a lot of folks like that. But a pre-med, we get a lot of pre-med students also. Mm-hmm. Because this is an opportunity that's hard to find. Sure. So it can be a little tricky stripping people of that that tendency to do what they know yeah but that's part of the training right we sure. kind of take them through the rigors of let's look at who you are as a human being what is what are your what are your prejudices what are your helping tendencies what do you lean towards right are you a fixer are you a prayer are you sure. what should go-to when somebody calls you and says well the crap has hit the fan and i need help what do you bust out
1: are you an avoider yeah,
2: yeah. right yeah. you just don't take the call right. whoa suddenly i have to go right yeah. right um, so recognizing who they are as an individual, it, that is one of the other things that I love about this program is I see people come through who, when we get them on the front end, they're like, I, I don't, I love this program and I'll go on the calls, but please don't ever ask me to do public speaking. Please don't ever ask me to do this or do that or whatever. And you know, a year in they're like standing on the podium at the heroes with heart sharing their story. Right. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I think you said you never wanted to do this. Yes, you did this. Like it, people grow so incredibly Mm -hmm. through new experiences through i always draw this diagram at training with a little and and everybody's seen it i'm sure the little dot with a circle around it right Mm -hmm. and here's you in your comfort zone and then a little circle outside here's where all the fun is sure and it is true all the good is happening outside Mm -hmm. your comfort zone if you always do what you always have done you'll always get what you always Mm -hmm. got yeah. You gotta move it around a little bit, so people really, you know, I just always encourage people. Ah, oh, I can't do what you do. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see a dead body. I don't want to. Ooh, that'd be so hard. But just as you said, you detach from it. It's not. This is not my tragedy. Yeah. Can I be here with you and be compassionate with you? And I mean, have I cried on calls? Yes, I have cried on calls. i have, sure. Absolutely. Not, I'm never going to cry more than my client or sure. make, turn the roles around and make it so now this is, I need a tip volunteer. Um, but yes, when I saw that 13 year old say goodbye to her mom for the last time and put yeah. those pictures she drew for her on her chest before the mortuary took her, did that break my heart? Sure. That broke my heart.
0: You're still human, Absolutely. right? Like, but I think, you know, like you said, it's, I think it's so important. You know, some people might hear that, that idea that you have to be able to kind of remove yourself or detach but that's actually a healthy thing because yes. what you've done is you've made it not about you, yeah. right? Because if 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 I'm taking it personally and I'm wearing the weight of all that, yeah. it's now about me for me. That's right. Right, and I'm not. I can't serve the purpose for why I'm there. Right, mm-hmm. and so I think that's actually a healthy thing. When people hear that, sometimes they go, "Well, you get jaded." Well, it's not jaded. No. It's it's a healthy boundary that recognizes I didn't show up to this for me. Right, and if I did, I'm not going to be helpful. That's right. Right, I'm actually going to bring. Some negative things to this.
1: That's right.
0: Um, because my behavior will be driven by my own, uh, my own need or my own want, and 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 so I think that's such a uh, such an important thing to recognize is, um, you know, like it, it's got to be about the person that you show up for. That's right. Right, not about you in that context. And
1: it's such a, I think that's so important to say because it's such a clarifier of our role in that, in that position. Going back to when we were talking about presence and the importance of presence and compassion. And I was thinking about just a, a friend of mine who's been going through a hard time this year, and, and my my sister said to me, and she gave me such sound advice, and she said, you need to remember that you are her friend before you are anything else. Like, you, yeah. when you're talking with her, when you're sitting with her, like, you're not a counselor, you're not a doctor, like, you are you are not, you are her, you are her friend. And t- so, to me, just hearing this and being reminded that when I'm knowing somebody going through a tragedy or a trauma, that I, I think what can keep me away is when I'm thinking, well, I don't know what to say and I don't know what sermon to preach and I don't know what, I, I don't know all these things. I don't know how to be a counselor. I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. Well, what if I reminded myself, Oh, that's not my job. No. My job is to be present. My job is to be compassionate. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it was something you said, uh, is really key in this whole idea of if people are listening and they're going again, I'm not sure this is for me. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that one of the things that bothers me a lot of times like in our current cultural context is that we say things like this to people all the time. Find a place you fit. Yeah. Find a place that it's comfortable for you. Yeah, no. Right? Like we've made <laughs> ourselves soft, right? Like and the best way possible. Because yeah. like you said, you never grow in comfortability. No. Right? Like, um, so one of our guys who technically produces this here in the room, Mason, is a weightlifter, right? Like so Mason goes to the gym works out, he's a power lifter, right? Like, so one of the things that I always, um, like working working in group sessions, I always use this analogy, right? Like when you go to the gym and you lift, what literally happens to your your muscle structure, right? The muscle fibers tear, they die, and then they get replaced by stronger, right? So if something doesn't tear and die,
1: yeah.
0: you don't get stronger, that's right. right? And I think that's one of the things we've robbed of pe- people of a little bit is we try to say to them, um, you know even volunteering well find a place that you fit yeah well no because then it's about you again that's right right like and and so you bring you don't bring health to the table now yeah. find a place that challenges you mm-hmm. and not a place that is gonna yeah, I mean find a place that you just say I'm gonna show up and it's gonna be uncomfortable but I'm gonna keep showing up
2: mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. and you right. you can't it's funny I'm reading a book right now Take the Stairs I don't know if you guys have read it it's mm-hmm. a great, great book um but one of the things he says is, you know, anything in life, you're if you want something, you got to work double time, part time, yeah, yeah, to get full time, good time later, right? That's not yeah. the exact word way that he does it, but basically work hard now yeah. to get good later. Yeah. Because yeah, it is uncomfortable showing up that first night. It's scary. I've I've had volunteers. I had my god sister said i'll be there i'll be there on the first round of training and she recruited her best friend come with me let's go Mm -hmm. her best friend she didn't show up my god sister didn't show up but her best friend did
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's funny
2: oh it's hilarious and she jess is she's now a national trainer for me she trains every training for me um and she is incredible and she took a risk right it was you're gonna go with me okay let's do this as a team let's Mm -hmm. team up to make this happen friend bails she rides it out goes through the training, goes through all the stuff. She's been with me for 10 years now. She's incredible, and she has grown immensely, and she now has her master's in social work and wow. does incredible work at her job, but also through our organization. It It is a, a, a soft society in a lot of ways, for sure, and sure. I, I feel like people need to kind of, you know, everybody says, oh, you got you know, do what go where you go where you know what fit where, do what fits and and, and make it all e- no life is not easy mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. if you're just waiting for everything easy to come along it's a long way it's a long way you're gonna be frustrated yeah. and it's boring yeah. I, I mean really it's boring
0: Well it's interesting when you were talking about how you got involved in this like it like this was not your navigated path right yeah. like this is not the planned path you had no. and it's one of the things that we found in talking to everybody on this is that nobody's where they thought they were going to be. Right. Right. That they stepped into situations where somebody had to step into it. Right. Um, And it wasn't necessarily their comfort, uh, their comfort zone, but it was just like, Hey, listen, somebody has to do something.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And I'm not going to be the person that waits for somebody else to do it anymore. Right. Like, and, um, and so I, there's Muhammad Ali had this great quote where he talked about, you know, he, he said, I basically, I hated every day of training, Yeah. but I wanted to live the rest of my life like a champion right like so the only way to do that's get up every day get hit in the face a little bit right yeah. now the beauty of that is when you get hit in the face you get to hit other people yeah too right like that's part of the, the that's part of the back and forth but i think you know what i would encourage people is if you're listening to this you're going man that sounds so heavy maybe heavy's what we need yeah maybe that's what makes us strong right mm-hmm. like don't be that guy in the gym who's lifting the same weight for 3 years <laughs> Right. No one go nowhere and, fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, man, we live to get stronger. Right. Right? And the yes. only way to get stronger is to to challenge what we've been able to do.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: and I can't think of a better place to step into it than into other people's, like, suffering. Yeah. Right? Like...
2: And let me just tell you... Because there's
0: beauty in that.
2: Oh, my God. I was just going to say that... Wh- Another one of the things that I love is when you go into these families, it's so funny. You can go, I I mean, I said earlier, a person living under a bridge. I can go to that person living under that bridge to be there because their friend died Mm -hmm. Uh, and to see the relationships and whether it is blood family or I've adopted you family or we live together, whatever it is, to see those relationships open before your eyes and the kind of love and care that individuals have for one another, mm-hmm. that families have. I sat with a family last night um, who had lost a, a brother-in-law, and dad was just really struggling. He had found him. He had a lot of guilt, felt like it was mm-hmm. his fault. I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, and so they, d- we had been there on scene, but he really wasn't receptive mm-hmm. because he was... And, and as he said last night, he just... I my head was, I was out of it. I just yeah. couldn't think clearly I wasn't there. And I know you guys were there and I know you made this effort then, but I'm so glad you came back to have yeah. this conversation again. Sitting there with he and his wife, listening to him tell me about his, his you know, this life that he had with his brother-in-law and his sister and how he would go every single day after work. He was going to his brother-in-law's house because he was sick and he had been sick for a while. Mm-hmm. And he he had said, I don't want to feel guilt if he dies because I didn't help when I could. Mm. So he didn't just help a little. He went there every day. He worked his job, his eight hours, nine hours at his job, and then went to his sister's and brothers in laws house. His sister loves to cook, so it was a multi-purpose. She yeah. could cook for him and feed him, but then he would help his brother-in-law who was frail and ailing mm-hmm. and... Alien and Needed help, and so he could do things for him. And he had gone, he'd been doing this for months. And every Saturday, he spent, he was over there for at least half of every Saturday, just helping where he could, Mm -hmm. doing what he could, right? And he's telling me the story, and I'm just like, this is incredible. I want to be half the person you are. Do you know how many times I tell myself in my head, I'm going to stop and check on that person. I'm going to call that person. I'm going to text them and let, I know, let them know I'm thinking about them. You know how many times I say that and I don't actually pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. I don't actually follow through on that True. because it's so easy to be distracted in life. It's so yeah. easy. Well, I got to do this first, but first I got to do, well, I got to go grocery shopping. I better answer these emails. Oh, I need to finish that text message. There's so many distractions in life that keep us from doing the, the good work and he's doing it every single day. But he's carrying this guilt with him now because his brother-in-law died while he was there, and he felt like somehow, some way, he should have, could have, woulda, changed things. And I just sat there in awe. When I left, I said, "I am so honored to meet you guys," and, and that is one of the many things that I love about this program. Is you get to sit there and be in a caring presence with these families, and because you are silent, because you're not doing all the yapping, mm. it they open up. Yeah. And they share where they're at and their life and all that has been. And it is such an honor and a privilege mm-hmm. to sit there and hear stories like this and learn it doesn't matter who they are, what level of life they live.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Almost always you will walk away with a, wow, that's an incredible family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think those moments bring us back to what is what matters. Yes. Right, like you said, Like it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in in those moments, mm. that's irrelevant. Right. Right? Like, nobody's checking your bank records at that point. Everybody's nope. going, like, it brings you back to what matters. And right. what matters is, you know, it, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Romans in Romans 13, he says this at the end, you know, there are three things that last forever. Faith, hope, love. Yes. Right? Yes. So, what do I find meaning in? That will matter forever. Yeah. Right? Um, hope, have I been a source of hope for other people? That will matter forever. Mm-hmm. And have I loved people well? Right? Um, and I think, you think about how much time we spend on things that are not related to those three at all. Right. Right? That that stuff just fades. Yeah. Right? Like it, you know, it, when you think of, of people you've lost in your life, you don't remember, um, you know, what job they had no. necessarily. Right? Like you don't remember what station of life they were in.
1: No.
0: You just remember the interaction I had yeah. with them. Like How you yeah, felt. Exactly. How did they make me feel? Yes. Right? How did, how, and I think you know, the beauty of something like what you guys are doing is you're calling people back to, to what matters, yeah. right? What matters is not the stuff we spend most of our time on. No. You know, and um, and it's a reminder in those moments for, like you said, for for those, for those volunteers that, you know, and I think we all need that reorientation occasionally. Oh, yes, yes. Right? Let, let's spend time on things that matter.
2: It's a so. reality check for sure. It is one of the great takeaways of the program. Yeah. You get to meet incredible people. You take away incredible... Uh, good juju from going out and doing what you do like you know when you left that call that you have done some good stuff and and we we always ask for feedback right so True. that kind of hammers home when we get that feedback that says most often they will say you were an angel literally the word they use is angel i don't know what i would have done that day without you mm. and it's so funny because if you ask the volunteers they'll be like i didn't do anything and i'm like that's exactly right
1: mm-hmm.
2: silence
0: right yeah. you were there carrying presence you know, I think we've said this before on this podcast, but um, I think one of the, the key skills in life is the ability just to show up. Yes,
2: yes. And to decide yes. to do
0: it, mm-hmm. right? Like Showing we, we all have the ability. The we people. all have the ability to do it. Yes. It's just the decision consistently to show up in the right places mm-hmm. and to do the right things, I think. And, um, you know, which speaks to the power of presence. Yeah. Showing up is just about being there, it's not about what you bring with you no. at all. No. Um, so.
1: And I love, I was looking at your website and one of your taglines said citizens helping citizens in crisis. Yeah. And I love that. Cause one of the things we talk about here a lot as a church is, is the idea of choose community. Like we want our community to be a better place because we're a part of it. And I just, I love that idea of citizens helping citizens yeah. being reminded that I'm showing up because you're a part of my community. Yeah. I'm, I'm showing up um, because you're a citizen here and I'm a citizen here. And you're suffering. And if I can be here to, to do something to, to help, if I can show you that you're not alone, right. How huge that is. I just, I love that idea. And I wonder, Gabby, if you could talk about a word that we brought up several different times, just that idea of compassion, Mm -hmm. um, showing up, shutting up, (laughs) having compassion. And even if we have somebody listening today who will, who's not going to go through the, uh, who, who's not going to go through the formal volunteer process, although we have hope we have some of those too. Of course yeah. we do. But we all are in community with other people. We all know people who've experienced trauma, who've experienced tragedy. What are just some compassionate tips that, that you would give? I know we've talked about a big one and that don't feel like you have to have the right thing to say because there's not a right thing right. to say. But whether that's... Um, right when that tragedies happen, or maybe aftercare, maybe Mm -hmm. post, is there any just compassionate tips you would give us as friends, as fellow citizens of how to be compassionate and loving towards those in our lives who are going through a trauma or a tragedy?
2: Yeah. I, so one of the things that I always tell people uh, is be gentle with one another uh, and respectful recognize that everybody grieves differently. So if you've experienced a past tragedy and you're like, Oh, your dad died. My dad died. I know exactly what that feels like. Well, you don't because this isn't your tragedy. You didn't live their life or their dad's life. So seemingly exact situations are not the same at all. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that and giving them that, saying, this must be so hard for you, right? Uh, Giving them that, uh, allowing them to cry, to grieve. People are so about, don't cry. Oh, don't don't do that. No, no, no. I don't want to feel anything with you. Let's not feel anything. Let's just, you know, whatever. So a huge part of compassion is what both of you have said, which is just quiet, just be there in a caring presence. You don't need to say anything. In fact, most often what you say is probably gonna do more harm than good. So simply closing your mouth and just hearing them, tell me what happened. And, and, and I, as a tip volunteer, that's kind of how we get the ball rolling with them, right? Is can you tell me what happened? Because them just being able to share their story is a big deal. They've been asked a lot of questions, but they're very targeted questions. They need to know, did they take medication? When's the last time they saw the doctor? When's the last time you saw them alive? Who opened the door? Who did this? Who did that? Mm -hmm. A lot of direct questioning. They haven't necessarily had the opportunity to from beginning to end, share what happened without interruption, without people looking for specifics, Mm -hmm. right? So giving them that ability to just say, tell me what happened. Mm and then listening actively listening not i'm thinking what i want to say oh oh your dad died of did oh i know a program that can help you with and now your your brain you're yeah. not there with them anymore right yeah. you've checked out you've moved on to you're fixing you're starting to fix stuff now and that's really what you you mentioned earlier right oh i could help i could we're not fixers we're there in a caring presence we're not curing anything we can't fix this. We can't bring their loved one back. We can't make the situation better. We can't bring their, rebuild their house for them that just burned down. But what we can do is we can be there in a caring presence. So listen, actively listen to what they're saying, hear what they're saying. You don't need to add conversation. You know, it doesn't need to be a, uh uh-huh. And then what? Just let them talk. Right, And when you feel like they're kind of, I've talked myself through this, then you can ask those gentle questions, right? Kind of if there's things that you're, you know, informa- things that they said that you're like, oh, let me get a little more about that, or I need a little more information here. Then you can ask those questions. Being careful not to say, I know just how you feel. Mm-hmm. I've been there before. Don't make it yours. Right. It's their tragedy. Let it be.
1: Right, That's not helpful.
2: No, it's not helpful to jump into somebody's tragedy and take it over. I always tell people, you know, when... I had a um, got rear-ended, not a big deal at all, but when I got to work and I was all frazzled, right? Oh my gosh, I got rear-ended. Uh, yeah. And I'm debriefing of sorts. And somebody in the office jumps in, oh, I got rear-ended, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, I'm done here. Yeah. Right? Like that brought a close to my yeah, conversation because yeah. you clearly need to have yours now. So we're done here. Yeah. So be mindful of that, what it feels like when you're trying to share your story and somebody jumps in the middle of it and cuts you off How it? how much it, stops things. It just kind of stops the conversation. So recognize that and let them have their say. Don't compare it to your situation. It's not comparable. Trust me. I don't care how similar the circumstances are. It's not the same. It's never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. It's just not. So let them be. Don't say the fix-it statements that make you, as you said, feel better, right? Oh, it makes me feel better to say, you'll be okay, it'll be fine. What you're really saying is, I'll be okay,
1: I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be with you for a minute, really uncomfortable, but I'm going to be okay, (laughs) right? I think you're saying those fix-it statements. I think this was Brene Brown, but how she talks about never starting a phrase with at least. Yes, Well, at least. least. That's exactly right. Or your child wasn't in the car. Well, at least, hey, we're not not doing at least. At
2: least he died doing what he loved. Yeah. 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 Now, if they say that, well, I'm so grateful that he was golfing when he died because, he, you know, he loved golfing. Then you can, sure, right? You can kind of feed it back to him. It sounds like he died doing what he loved, right? But again, you're going to be very precise in your words. You're going to use their words, not make your own. You're not going to kind of craft it out of your own thing. If they say, well, you know, he... He, he's such a, he loved painting, and, and so I'm, I'm really glad that he was painting when he died. And, and you turn that to say, well, it sounds like he died doing what he loved. And they go, no, I said he died while he was painting, and I'm glad he was. you know It's, it's finesse. It's little tiny things that you don't even think about when you're trying to kind of make yourself feel no. better. But it really, truly, the, the heart of it all is that just being there and that caring presence and leaving the words out. Less is more. Less is more when you're dealing with somebody who's in a tragedy. Because you will, those profound statements kind of roll off our tongue when we think we're, you know, this is a perfect time. I'm going to educate them on the finer points of grief. I have my master's sure. in therapy, or I'm a master social worker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it all, I've done it all, and I know just what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what you need to hear. But what they really need to hear right now is just you being there in a caring presence. They don't need anybody to tell them what to do. People forget that... This is just a, this is like a little combustible moment in life that is a mess because of a tragedy. It's Mm. not the duration of their life. It's not who they are on the whole. This moment, it's just that. It's just a moment. It's a terrible moment and it's going to take a while to recover from. But it's, it's a flash in the pan right now in terms of who they are. So jumping in and thinking, oh, well, I got to fix this. You don't, you don't got to fix it. Mm -hmm. Don't, Don't try and fix it. Just be there for them. Recognize you can't fix it unless you're going to bring back the dead, you're not fixing anything here. So recognize that for what it is, and instead of worrying about you, worry about them. Package away all of your preconceived notions about what people need, don't need, in certain circumstances, let them guide the conversation. Mm -hmm. What do you need from me right now? Oftentimes people are, they don't, I don't know, I don't know, I'm overwhelmed. But in the course of them talking to you, that is tip volunteers, this is what we're doing. We're listening, we're actively listening, and if they're telling me things like, and then I did this, and then I did that, and oh, sounds like you take medication have you taken your medication today just basic things things that they just need you need to drink water right sounds like you haven't eaten all day would you like me to cook you something to eat probably not going to eat it but make it Sure. make it available to them Mm -hmm. right Um, when they're you've been there for a while and you know they haven't had any liquids don't say would you like something to drink just bring a bottle of water out put it in front of them Mm -hmm. put the kleenex in front of them just do the little things Mm -hmm. um i was on a call with a family whose mom had died and there were some suspicious suspicious things that had occurred and so the police were still on scene and but they weren't being allowed in the house so Mm -hmm. and it was a summer day so it was kind of warm out and Somebody showed up with water. I actually don't even know who showed up with water. Um, I had Kleenex that I had pulled out. And so, but family would just kind of come and go because they, it was like, we're here because we want to be here for you, but it's really hot out here yeah, and we don't quite have that kind of stamina. So we're going to go now. (laughs) The next group would come. And uh, so one of the gals was sitting on the ground and I just came over and from the, case of water somebody had appeared with and put a bottle of water by her and, and put the tissue in the middle. because every time somebody would come it would read they would all cry yeah. and do their thing and so i put the tissue in them and and then i just stepped away because they were they were supporting one another and that's what i mm-hmm. want them to do and so i stepped away and let them do their thing and the gal said who is that and she was like oh she's a volunteer and the uh She gal said, how did she know we needed water? And she's like, I don't know. She's been doing it all day. (laughs) (laughs) Just being there in ways that they're not necessarily. Their mind isn't making the leap, but you can. But truly the bottom line is just listen. Mm -hmm. Just be there in a caring presence. If you can do that, that alone will get you through. That alone will make you successful in being a good friend Mm -hmm. at the worst time.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. I love being a good friend at the worst time. I love that. And I loved how you phrased earlier when you said the goal is to care, not cure. Yeah. If I show up and I'm thinking, okay, I'm here to care. I'm not here to cure. Right. I love that. Yeah. That was a great way to phrase that.
2: We want to fix. We're a fixing group, right? Mm-hmm. Especially men. Men tend to be the, well, not, the, not like I'm looking at the men in the no, room. Yeah, like <laughs>
0: they're get the things fixers. Done. We like to get things done. Yeah. Well, no, you know, it's, it's funny you were talking about caring, and cure, the difference in the two is the you, right? Right. I like that curing is about
2: Yes, me. It's about the
0: you. right? Like, like, Yeah, so, and, and I think we have to, um, you know, and, and I think sometimes we want to short circuit because we want to minimize people's pain. Yeah. Well, oh, for sure. But the, the pain is the natural reaction to those things, right? Yeah. Like it's, um, and, and you need time to process through that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I think it's such a good reminder, as you've talked about several times, like if you're listening to the podcast today and, and you're just going, listen, I'm not sure this is for me. If you've got a driver's license, a computer. A computer. A car. A car or a cell, and a cell phone, right? Oh, yeah, cell phone. That's right. Cell phone.
2: Not the computer. You can so, do it from your phone now.
0: Self, the computer's a bonus. Yes. Right? <laughs> but if you've got a car, a cell phone, and a driver's license, you can do this.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? And um, So talk to us about uh, how are you guys doing in terms of your volunteers? I'm sure you're always in need. We are always right? in, in, need in need of volunteers. So how can someone, if they're listening today and they say, I just, I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah. Ryan, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh,
2: So the best way to do it is through our website, tipnnv.org. And you just click on uh, how I can help, and it'll be a volunteer. um, Yeah, at the top it'll say how you can help. And then... Or you want to, And then it'll say, uh, register to become a volunteer. Okay. You fill that out, shoots an email to me. I respond with a bunch of information. Our next training academy is in May. Okay. Uh, it'll start in May. It's the two weeks, as I said, in, in class. But if you sign up now, you'll have plenty of time to plan your life sure. around that. Um, but we are always looking for volunteers. As you can imagine, people, life, life happens. Yeah. And, and the best intentions, people come on and we ask people to commit to a year, right? Give us yeah. a year of your time. Mm-hmm. We've put a lot into you. We would appreciate that much time back. People have babies. They get new jobs. They move out of town. They Mm -hmm. get married. Circumstances change. Mm -hmm. So we understand that. Uh, But, yeah, we're looking for folks that can commit to a year. Um. And just kind of give us 100% of on call. It's the shifts, how it works as a volunteer is you're required to cover three 12 hour shifts a month. So at 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. is the day shift. Mm -hmm. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. is the night shift. So you have to cover three of those 12 hour shifts. You give us five shifts on the calendar every month and then we narrow those five down to three. The purpose of the five is obviously it's a little tricky to organize a calendar of 33 people if you're only giving me three shifts. So five opens it up a little bit and we go, okay, we can place things a little differently. So five, or I'm sorry, three 12-hour shifts a month to be on call, plus our three-hour continuing education meeting every month, which is always the third Wednesday of the month from 6 to 9 p.m. So super easy to remember. It's always going to be on the third Wednesday of the month. This Wednesday, or this, this month, our CE meeting, it happens to be our Christmas party. So they are required to come have a party.
0: There you go. <laughs> that's how it works. There are worse things. Yeah, that's, that's a right. good way to that's live. Right.
2: And I'll tell you, just as volunteers... That is one of the things. I have met the most incredible people through this program who have come to be TIP volunteers. One of my very best friends I met because of TIP. Um, Actually, one, two, three, four of my very best friends I have met through the TIP program. And I would say the same of pretty much everybody in the program. If you come and you commit and you're really dedicated to mm. it, yes, we have those folks who kind of travel through and are like, well, I'm just getting this on my resume. Sure. Yeah, I'll, see yeah. I'll see you around. I'm going to do it for a few months and then I'm out. Uh, and, and you're not going to get as much out of it that way, for sure. You get what you give. Right. Uh, but the people who really commit to it and come and show up and are present walk away with not just incredible experiences and getting to see the inside of the emergency response system and how incredibly valuable and important and hard that Mm. work is but they walk away with friends dear friends that they will carry with them
1: throughout the rest of their lives that was a great way to say that if you come and you commit come and commit and before we started recording you were talking about some of the volunteers that have come out of scf that have been volunteers and you said you said what great volunteers they were and As you kind of talked about that, it sounds like really that's what you're saying. What made them great volunteers was that they came and they committed. You weren't saying, oh, what made them great volunteers was they were perfect and they knew exactly how to do everything and they already had all this experience. No, what made them great volunteers was that they came and they committed. They were dedicated. Dedicated volunteers. The dedication. That's what what will do it.
0: Yep. Very cool. And as always, thanks for being here, Gabby. Of course. And we always try to say uh, you know, this in some part of the, the podcast, I think, is... If you're listening today and you have not found a place to volunteer in Northern Nevada, uh, this is a great option. All right? TIP is a great option. And the way we start is by making our reasons better than our excuses. Um, so, And and the reason is uh, people need other people. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you're looking for a place, we encourage you to check out TIP. Um, You will not regret it. It I believe that. And we thank you for the work you all are doing in
1: our community. Thank you, guys. It's awesome.